excited about this, uh, the digital experience. The, the, uh, as you, you probably saw, you had a little of these uh, inserts as well. I mean, the, the team has done a great job. They redesigned the website, made it a lot cleaner, a lot easier to access the information in the media. And then, of course, the new thing we were able to just launch, uh, our Cornerstone mobile app. It works for a number of devices. You know, one of the things we are, uh, you know, I love about it, at least, is that it's got this bottom tab. In fact, we want everybody to consider who's part of our church to, to download the app, if you can. Cornerstone SF. In fact, you could even do it now while I would actually am talking. But, um, you know, it has this really cool feature. It has on the, the bottom tab, it has the media and it goes straight to, you know, the messages. It's got message albums. You can just listen to any one of them very rapidly, very quickly. You might be sitting, waiting, you have time to spare. You feel like you want to revisit something. It's got a live stream touch, automatic. It goes right to also the music that we do as a special quick and then, you know, it just it is a way of allowing our community to stay connected in ways that before we weren't quite able to do. And we're going to use it for the push notifications as well that would be able to let everyone know when we have certain challenges that are going on or prayers or special devotions that we want to give. So it's again, I'm a big believer in the community staying connected, especially the larger it gets, the more important it is for us. What a blessing to have an opportunity to just be able to identify ourselves with our own church, as it were, and at the same time to be able to stay connected. So really would love for everyone to take advantage of what for us is just really something we're, we're feeling pretty good about. And uh, of course, this year has been amazing in that regard. You know, we've had the live stream, the website redesign, and now the mobile app. So just be aware of all the things that are at your disposal, share them with your friends, and again, take advantage of it. Use it as an encouragement tool. I'm going to go ahead and pray, though. I'm going to ask God to bless our time. I believe that he has something he wants to teach us and share with us. So I'm going to pray about what he wants to do. And uh, even now, Lord, I just thank you because I know you love us. And I know that you care about our lives. And so as we take this time and invest it into learning your words, and as we take this time to revisiting people who, even though they were from a different culture in an older time, uh, modeled what it is to, to live a life of faith. And we can take these principles and apply them to our own journey of faith with you. And so I ask that, you know, we wouldn't be in a hurry, but we'd be, be right where we're supposed to be, that our, our minds and our hearts would be focused on you and we'd be attentive to your words that you might want to say to us, even as we're in this learning mode, in this investing mode. I ask for your blessing, your grace, your peace, your life and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, God. So, as you probably already noticed, and we focus on different uh, heroes of the faith, and this particular um, section here we're going to be focusing on it has to do with Eliezer and Rebecca, two names that are not as nearly as familiar with uh, maybe people who might be more familiar with more recognizable names like Abraham and Moses and David and things like that. But uh, I'm going to talk about these two in the next few weeks. Actually, for the next this week and the following two weeks, I'm going to be sharing like a little three-part mini-series within the larger series. Eliezer was the, and again, I don't want to assume that everybody has a background knowledge of the Bible. I know that many of us do, and, these, and so there's always that unique challenge because I want everybody to feel included. And Eliezer was Abraham's servant, his most trusted, um, if you will, servant manager of his household. He was his right-hand man. And he was someone who had been raised up in his house and... Um, he was someone who deeply loved Abraham, and Abraham loved and trusted him. He was given an assignment, as we're going to look at, to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. 
That wife ultimately ends up being Rebecca. Rebecca is also a remarkable woman in her own right. She, she ends up choosing because she feels God wants her to. And even in this culture where things like this were more common, it's still an extraordinary step on her part to agree to marry a man that she has never seen and make a journey to meet him because of a conviction that God was in it. Now, again, we want to look at this through a, maybe be careful about trying to juxtaposition our own lens of cultural lens onto this teaching, but at the same time, it has a lot for us. Now, Isaac, the one whom Rebecca is going to marry, was the son, the miracle son of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was uh, not supposed to have been born. They were far beyond the age of childbearing when they had Isaac. In fact, Isaac um, was, even the proposition that they could have a child was something that both of them considered to be quite ludicrous. And and in fact, I would like us to look at Hebrews 11. And this is in the handout. You can follow right along here as well. Or you can read your Bible, you you know, read out of your Bible, whatever you want to, whatever way we can follow here together. But I want to read this passage because what God does when he gives them this miracle son, when he gives Abraham and Sarah Isaac, is he gives them a blessing that not only means that he's going to fulfill a promise about their being able to forge a nation, but also that promise included the idea that God was going to bring forth a savior for the world who would be ultimately Jesus. And so there is this this deep knitted promise that's embedded in what we're about to read that extends all the way to where we are right now. Anyone who would follow Jesus is connected to Abraham by faith. And if you read the Bible, you constantly see that theme being mentioned. He is a model of what it means to live a life of faith. And he and Sarah had that son, Isaac. And so let's read this together. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. And he went, he went, Abraham did. One of the remarkable aspects of his faith was that, you know, he didn't really have any training. He was the first one. He, he was the first one to really hear God and move out. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God had promised him, he lived there by faith. Right? For he was like a foreigner. He was in a, now, sometimes followers of Jesus may feel a little bit challenged by maybe a culture that doesn't always understand who Jesus is or has perhaps misrepresented understanding of who he is or distorted perspectives based on all kinds of reasons. But it's one thing to, to feel sometimes like, wow, I'm, I'm not in the majority and, and to have to live counterculturally on behalf of the Lord in an environment, maybe at a workplace. And it's quite another to be the only person. And that's what Abraham was. He was the only one. He and his family, they were utterly alone. And, but he had moved by faith to a place that he felt God clearly had told him to go. And so he had left everything behind. And by faith, he went to a land of promise. And this is what we're told, that Abraham, even though he was like a foreigner living in tents, nomad, no place, no city, no home with walls. No, he lived nomadically. He had, and in a way, it was almost like a representation that this world would never be his true home, but there was ultimately something that would come from him that would be a blessing, not only as a nation, but to the nations. And so did, look what it says here, he lived like a foreigner, living in tents, and so did Isaac, there he is, and Jacob, who would be Isaac's son, one of his sons, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. That is, he had his eye on eternal things. And it was a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and way too old 
She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation, the Jewish people, came from this one man who the Bible describes as being as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like there is the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. There's no way to count them. And we're not just talking physical. And the Bible says that it's not just talking about the physical descendants of Abraham, which is a miracle in and of itself. It's talking about all those who are connected to Abraham through Jesus by faith. Everything that Abraham anticipated fulfilled in Jesus. It connects us back. We're all connected. That was the sand of the sea. And it is an amazing thing that God has done, spiritual, physically, through this man and through Sarah. Now it says, you know, when we read this, that one of the things we're told as well, and it's implied, is that they believed God and when, when he said they were going to have a son. And that's true, they did. But if you read closely in the book of Genesis, which I would encourage all of us to do when you get a chance just to read the background of the story and this account, is that one of the things you realize is that both of them really struggled to believe that this was even possible. When Abraham, who was the father of the faith, and the model of faith, what it means to believe God and act on that without seeing anything tangibly. But when he was told by God that, that, he, was gonna have, that, that he and Sarah were going to have a son, and they were so old, way, I mean, way, way, you know, the 90s, right? A hundred, I mean, we're talking about old Abraham got down and he started, he, when he heard the news, he, he, he said, this is impossible. And he started laughing in unbelief. There's no way, God. Surely you mean Ishmael, his other son that he had maneuvered. And there was a whole story behind that with, Abraham, with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and how they had tried to help God along. And God said, I'm not doing it that way. I'm doing something very different. I tell you, Sarah will have the son. I was like, that's impossible. And he laughed in unbelief. Sarah, God comes, God related, God speaks to them again. No, he relays, and Sarah's listening to this message being relayed to Abraham. No, it will be Sarah. And Sarah, we're told, also is listening on the other side of the tent, and she starts laughing as well as Natalie. No way. They both laughed at God's promise because it was too incredible, too ludicrous, too impossible to believe. And yet, what God, when, when she had the child, Isaac, they laughed a very different kind of laughter. And it was a miracle. It, if you think about it, do you know why they named him Isaac? You know what Isaac's name means? It means laughter. That's a beautiful name. It meant two things, right? We laughed when God said it would be possible, and now we laugh with joy at the incredible. It was an amazing development. Out of, and Isaac grows up knowing, you know what? My name is Laughter, and he knows he's a special child. I mean, in the best way, he walks around as if this is God's miracle. You are God's miracle. You are God's miracle child. It was an amazing, extraordinary thing. And he lived that way. He grew up that way. And, you know, what a blessing that must have been for him. I mean, we talked about last week when, when we were hearing the message how the, some of the children of the, of, the, of the prophet Hosea, what they were named and the pain, pain that they represented in that name about how God felt about what was happening with his, his people Israel. And the name, that was, we talked about the burden of that. But Isaac walked with the blessing. Wherever he went, your name is laughter. 
because this is what God does. It was incredible. Now, here's the thing. As the years go by, Isaac grows up. He becomes a man. He's in his now late 30s. Sarah has died. Abraham is nearing death. He knows there is one final thing he needs to do. He understands that he has a dilemma. God has said it would be through Isaac, who was a miracle, that the promise will be fulfilled physically, his descendants. Out of that descendant will come a nation and, a, and the life giver himself, Messiah. But Isaac has no wife. And one of the problems that Abraham has is he has such a value on the spiritual unity component of marriage that he doesn't want Isaac to marry anyone uh, from the people groups that are around him. All, they worship idols. They don't have the same faith. Um, Abraham, remember, he was convinced that no question that the one true God must be worshipped never in such a way that could reduce him to anything that could be captured or carved out by human hands. The idea of worshipping something we can create was for Abraham an impossible representation of God. He had staked everything on his belief in God. And so he, he felt the need to have Isaac marry someone because how else are we going to have a children and descendants? I mean, it was already something that had been... How do you, where do you find her? So he, he felt prompted to, to, find, to go back to his, his relatives and see if there would be someone in his past family and community who would consider marrying Isaac. He wanted this to happen before he died. Again, in their culture, the family... Was the, that was a responsibility, the family. We are far more individualistic, but in their day it was about the family. And an arranged, an arranged marriage was, was commonplace and understood as, as the appropriate thing to do. So Abraham doesn't know what to do. He just knows two things. He knows, one, I need to find my son a wife before I die who can fulfill the promise that God has made. And two, I, I don't want Isaac ever to leave this place because this is the place where, my, where the promise that God gave me was meant to be fulfilled. So that's the tension point. Keep that in mind as we read what we're about to read. Now we're going to read probably one of the longest, if not the longest chapter in the, in the book of Genesis, the 24th chapter. This chapter is a transitional chapter. It's sort of the end of Abraham, the beginning of Isaac. Isaac is always, by the way, um, the more modest figure as compared to Abraham and Jacob. His son, Jacob, has a very a large amount of, of you know, space that's devoted to his life. His name becomes Israel. Abraham, of course, has a significant amount. We know a lot less about Isaac, but this is one of the pieces we know. So let's look at it together. This is in Genesis uh, 24. We'll read verse number one here. It says, when Abraham was very old, he was well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. You know, we, we need to just say that Abraham has been old for a long time, Okay. And when, it, when God says he's been blessed in every way, he's been blessed materially. He's been blessed even relationally. He's just, he's just been extraordinarily blessed by God. Uh, his faith, the way he's lived his life, not perfectly, but with the degree of integrity that God has honored. He, he is nearing the end of his journey, um, having done something that was honestly incredible to begin some, a movement of God. And yet he knows that this is is nearing its end, and his son Isaac is going to have to carry on this promise if it's going to be fulfilled. So Abraham says to the eldest servant of this house, now, on the, just stay with me, you guys. On the basis of Genesis 15, we can deduce that the name of this servant was Eliezer. So he calls Eliezer in, and he says, I need you to do something for me. And then he does something that when we read it, we go, what's going on here, right? 
Look at the verses. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over that, all that he had ruled. He managed everything in Abraham's household. Please put your hand under my thigh. All of us are going, what's that? What does that mean? What are they doing? Well, it was a way in their day of honoring something that had to do with posterity. The very place where the seed, Abraham was basically saying that on the basis of everything that is yet to come, on the basis of my children and my children's children, on the basis of the promise that God gave me about my descendants, I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking you to take an oath before God that's connected to everything that God has promised. Will you do this? Will you represent my interests? Go back to the land of my fathers and find a wife for our, my son Isaac. Will you do that? And, as, and, and basically what we're told here is that the servant said to him, well, what happens? Look at that, verse 5. Well, what happens if she says she doesn't want to go? What happens if she says, you know, I'm not interested in coming. I, you know, I'm not going to marry somebody I've never met. Eliezer says, you know, I'll go for you. But, you know, before I confirm this oath, I want to just double check what the, what happens if, if, if she doesn't want it. Even if I find her, what, I'm going to have to persuade her to come and, and meet someone who she's never seen. What if, and, and to live a harder life. What happens if she says, I don't want to go unless I meet him? Should I come back, get Isaac and take him with me? And Abraham, watch the intensity of his reaction. Abraham says to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants, I give this land. He will send, he will make a way for you. He'll send an angel before you and you shall take a wife from my son from there. Look, he's saying, God's going to do this. I believe this. I believe God already has a woman, he's saying, who is willing to marry Isaac. But if I've got it wrong and you get there, and she says the only way she'll do it is if Isaac comes back to meet her, he says, then you're released. Because under no circumstances, did you hear me? Under no circumstances ever is Isaac to go back. This is the land of promise. And if God can't do it that way, then he will do it some other way. This is how I think he'll do it. But if not, there'll be some other way. But he must not go back. He knows, I think in his mind, that was an easier life. That was a life of far more comfort. It's possible he thought Isaac will go back and he won't want to come back to this place. And this is the place we're called. Do you know that there are times where God calls us to a place? And it is in that place where that seasonal promise is fulfilled in our lives. And one of the things we need to always be careful of is moving too fast from that place when God is doing things. And Abraham was very tuned into that. He said, I don't want you taking Isaac anywhere. He stays here. Do you understand? I believe God is going to do something. And, but if, he, if it doesn't work that way and I've got it wrong, then you know what? You're released. Don't even. Now watch what happens. So it says that, he says to the servant, verse 9, put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. He made the oath before the Lord. And the servant took 10 of his master's camels, departed for all that he, his master's goods were in his hands. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. That's northeast, which would be towards our modern day, which is in the news all the time now, Iraq. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, in the, the time when women go out to draw water. And, and you know, between Iraq and, and, and that area now, Iran, that whole region in there, but particularly. And it says that he makes this journey and he gets there and he figures the best place to go is to the, uh, the place where the camels are watered by the women in, at, in the evening time. He says, maybe 
this is the place where God will show me the woman. He doesn't know where to start. He figures it's as good a place to start as any, and he arrives there. And then what he does is something, in this, in, as the day is closing, with twilight and, and the women coming in the cool of the early evening to get, to get the water, he makes a prayer that shows you that he has captured the heart of his, his, his mentor, his, his master, if you will, his employer, um, his leader and friend, Abraham. He, he too has become a man of faith. Look what he prays. He's, it's so simple, so pure, so honest. Not elegant, but real. Oh, Lord God of my master, Abraham, I ask you that you would give me success this day. And I also, not only do I ask that you would help open up a door for me and set up a divine appointment, make my way successful, but I also ask that you would do this because I want Abraham to be blessed. And I pray this prayer on his behalf. You who do incredible things, will you do this now for a man who loves you and wants to find a wife for his son? That's the peace. And it's a beautiful peace. And we're going to see in the coming weeks how God works that through. Hear me out. In the minutes that we have left, I want to just suggest a couple of things. Because I prayed about this message. I prayed, for, I prayed for some of us. And here's something I want to say based on what we just read and shared. I really believe this. There are some things, listen, loved ones, that God never wants us to go back to. Never. I mean, for Abraham, this was huge, right? This was the land of his past. It, it, and I think for some of us, it's crucial that we do not return to things that we've left behind, even when those things woo us and call us back. I mean, some of us, it has to do with habits that we've left behind. We're not supposed to go back there. Practices, attitudes, ways of being, things that we carried that were, 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 were trying to get past. You know, some of us, we have things. Some of us have, have anger that we've, we held for numbers of years, and, and God said, you need to let that. And we came to the Lord, and we've started to let that go. Others of us have had deep trust injuries. And the Lord's, tried to, the Lord's healed that up. He said, don't go back there. Some of us have broken free of really destructive things that, that are toxic for our life. They just, they enslave us. They dominate us. Some of us are struggling with them now, but we've gotten degrees of freedom in Jesus. We're not perfect, but we've made real progress. The Lord would say, do not go back to what was. A lot of times, we, we, some of us have come through things where we've struggled with our identity. And how, you know, sometimes, I know I'm gonna say this because people share it with me. We struggle sometimes with our own self-loathing we don't measure up to expectations of what our culture tells us is, is beautiful or whatever, successful. Part of our past has to do with regrets, things that we tried to let go of, but they, they, they haunt us. They're holding us. They want to hold. We want to. Look, I'm talking about stuff that God says, you know what? That's your past. You came to me. And when you come to me, I'm about freedom. I'm about setting things free and covering it. Don't go back to what was. And when it's hard, when things are difficult, it's so easy to do this. It's so easy to get lured by the temptations, right? The shiny object that starts drawing us. We're weak. Reminded of that. <laughs> Remember the Bugs Life? Okay, that's a, some of that as a movie. That was like the, right after Toy Story. And in the Bugs Life, there's this little small little part. There's these two flies, right? Well, one's, one's Harry the fly, and the other one's a bug. And 
there's this blue zapper light. And all of a sudden, they're, and all of a sudden, it's like Harry, <laughs> Harry starts moving towards the blue zapper light. His bug friend says, don't do it. Harry, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> it's so beautiful, right? <laughs> ah, that's what he does. All right. I know it was, it, it was, it, it was, it, but it captures the moment so great. You know, it's like, I can't help myself. It's so beautiful. And the idea is it's being drawn to something. And we get drawn to stuff. And it's like we're so weak in that area. And someone else, we might go, what's wrong with you? Come on. But for us, that's, that is, that's like our kryptonite. We all have blind spots. We all have areas where we're very weak. We need God's grace. We're tempted just to sort of get drawn back into ways of being, we don't even want to go. But we get, it's so hard, especially when we're feeling down or discouraged. And like stuff's working in our head. We're st- you know, and we just get to, I mean, I mean, I'm telling you, I meet people all the time. I, Saturday night, I had numbers of people after service. I was talking to them. I had one person come up to me and say, you know, how, you know what this meant for me? I'm, I've been doing so well. And then all of a sudden, I had something happen, and I went back into something that I know I shouldn't have done. I mean, it's tears. I, I didn't want to do it. And, I, and she said, but I came here, and I felt like I needed to get to the Lord's house. I needed to get here. And when I got here, even though it was hard, it was so good for me. Right? I'm hearing this. I hear, look, we need things that bind us to the good. I talk about, for me, I just call it like the three P's the promise, patterns, and people. The promise has to do with the fact that we live as people of promise. That just like Abraham had a promise, that promise meant something to him. He held that promise. We too have promise in Jesus. That promise is partly that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you that you are my beloved son and you are my beloved daughter by faith. That promise is that I will give you strength when you're at your weakest, if you'll turn to me. That promise is even when you fail, I will not leave you. I will follow after you. My love follows hard after you. The idea of living in promise, but also living in patterns. And patterns are like guardrails that save us when we're in our weak places and destructive places. Or when we want to go back to things that we don't need to go back to. Don't, don't go back there. Right? Patterns are, you know what? Coming to the, to the Lord's house is a pattern. Jesus modeled it. It's like a guardrail. You know, you go up on a precarious road somewhere, or a, it could be a highway that starts having a lot of turns and twists in its high. You'll notice, you'll see, you'll see guardrails. And every now and then, if you actually look at a guardrail, you'll notice that some of them, they've got scrapes, dents. Some of them are hanging halfway. Because cars, that's just telling us is that some people were saved from flying off a cliff because they had a guardrail. Patterns mean something in our lives. They're meant to save us. They're meant to keep us. God's word is not designed to constrict life. It's designed to keep life. A, 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 water, a, a, a river without any boundaries floods things. So there's safety. There's safety in coming to the Lord's house. A lot of times we're on our way to moving off course. And, and, and being foolish and reckless and going back to stuff that God says, that's not for you and that's not where the blessing or the promise is going to be. Don't go back there. Stop that. That's not, that's not who I called you to be. I didn't call you to, I called you out of that. Don't go back to that. You see, and, and, that effect, and you see how that, that choice affects other people. 
And the Lord gives us the, and then he, and then speaking of other people, that's the third P, the idea that we bring others into that. So we have patterns in our life that save us when we're weak, keep us from flying off the cliff. We're not always on our game. There'll be times where we're going to hit the thing hard, but it's okay. God's with us. We've got a promise. We've got patterns that safeguard us. And then we've got people who are walking with us. And when we're not strong, they can work with us because we've made ourselves vulnerable. We've gotten connected and vice versa. You see how it works? That's wisdom. Going back to Eliezer, I'm thinking about this. There's another principle he illustrates, and it is this. And this really has to do with this idea of what kind of a servant we're going to be. And so I'll just put this up. We'll put this up as a second piece here. But I think one of the things we learn here is that some of us are called, you know, is that a willingness to commit and serve with excellence really is a mark of a servant, a true servant, a true mark of a servant. And I look at Eliezer and I go, man, he, you know, he was being asked to represent the heart of Abraham. That was a weight. That was a responsibility. We live in an age where people are afraid to make commitments. I know why, because we don't want to break those commitments. So it's easier not to make them. But he was being asked, will you make this commitment? And honestly, sometimes the, the higher our sense of integrity, the more that it means to us to say yes to something, we understand that by saying yes to this, that, that has implications. And so we might want to pull back. What I see here is a man who was willing to say yes. I, really, I, I look at I say, you know, are, and then I ask this question. I ask it on myself. What are the assignments that God's asking us to take for him on his behalf? And what would that look, what would faithfulness look like? What would it look like to honor what the Lord's asking us to do on his behalf? It's required of a steward, the Bible says, a manager, they'd be found faithful. Jesus modeled that faithfulness. May the Lord give us grace to commit ourselves. Someone said to me, I said to me, <laughs> and it's going to sound... Interesting. He, I caught me off guard when he said it. He goes, you know, when you were talking about Abraham, last, he said, and about that moment where Eliezer puts his hand on the thigh. I said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, I think, and, and at first it caught me, he goes, I think Jesus asked me to put my hand right on his thigh. I said, well, you know, I, I said, well, okay. I, but then I go, I go, I understood what he meant. He goes, I think I'm supposed to commit. I, I, I got what, I, it, was, it, 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 it intrigued me how he got there. But when I understood what he said, he was basically saying, I want to I wanna, I wanna accept the responsibility of committing myself to him. I thought, you know what? That's good. Now, the third thing you see about Eliezer, which is great for you and me, is, this is quick too is we see the value and the power of prayer, right? A simple prayer with an honest intention, right, can have a powerful effect. Think about this next. Some of us might be walking into stuff. We might have things that we're going to have to deal with. We might have meetings that we're going to have to walk into. I don't know. Conversations we're going to need to have. A situation that's going to arise that's going to require us to make a good call. How about this week, if that's something that we're going to have to deal with, we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the model of Eliezer, the servant, the faithful servant of Abraham, who when he was placed in the position, what he did was so simple. He just uttered a simple prayer. And it could be for us the same thing. Under my breath, Lord, I ask that you would give me success in this moment. A simple prayer. And I ask that I could honor you in this way for this purpose. Simple prayer. We should not underestimate his power or effect. Jesus said that there are times when you have not because you did not ask. Fourthly, is there a journey that God's wanting us to make? 
Is there a search that God's calling us to embark upon? A faith journey he's asking us to take. For some of us, listen. What the Lord is saying is, this is a time for new discovery in your life with me. This is a new chapter. I want you to do this. I want you to pursue this. I want you to go on this journey. I want you to learn new things. I want you to grow. I want my, your capacity to trust me to be enlarged. I have something new I want to do in your life. I need you to trust me in this. I need you to watch how I work, how I set up divine appointments. I need you to just say, Lord, I'm open to going on your behalf, to seeing. I want to, I want to be open to new things that you want to do. You know, when you get ready to travel somewhere, one of the best things you can ever do is actually when you go on a journey, one of the best things we can ever do is think about how we want to enter that and think about how we want to exit it. And a lot of us, we just focus on the journey itself, but how we enter and exit are huge. Transformation often occurs because we put thought into the front end of a trip and on the back end of one. And so one of the keys, I think, sometimes with God is that he wants us to think about what he's trying to do in our lives in this season of our lives and the journey he's asking us to make, the journey of growth. Last thing I'll say, and we'll leave it here. It's a question, really. Are there things that he wants to birth in us? What is the miracle of life he wants to birth in you and me? I'm going to say, well, you know, um, it's like this is life. And I want to say, Abraham and Sarah go all full circle back around. In their mind, you know what? The best years of life, that's all. We've lived our life. You know, there's, not, there's nothing. There's, it's like that's done. It's like God was saying, don't ever assume that in the places where things are dead that I cannot bring forth life. That will so surprise you that you will have nothing else to do but bow before me and laugh with joyful gratitude and say, God, I can't believe what you have done. You're in the miracle business. And I know a lot of times you say, well, you never know. You know, be careful about being too optimistic because bad things happen all the time. I agree with that. But you know what? When you walk with God, one of the things I think he wants to remind us of is don't close, don't close yourself off from something incredible that I want to do in your life when you're least expecting it and when it doesn't make sense at all. I have something new to birth in you and for you and don't be surprised when it happens. But when it does, remember the moment and mark it and laugh for the joy of the Lord. And you will know that God has done this thing. You know, in my life, my grandfather, who affected my life, my dad wasn't in my life. My grandfather, when I was a teenager, and he was in his, I have said this before, but it's, maybe it's helpful to illustrate the point. But when he was in his 70s, that's when he really impacted my life. I, you know, and then indirectly ends up impacting all other people's lives for the Lord. And I thought, you know what? Let's never sell short what God can do. Sometimes we're tempted to say, you know, my best years are behind me. Or, you know, I got locked into this. My, my years of adventure are behind me. Or, you know what? Here's the way my life is. It's the way it's always going to be. I've squandered stuff. You know, I'm going to settle. You know what? what? In the Lord, what, we, what are we being reminded of? This is an adventure of faith. And sometimes, here's, the, oh, one last thing. Little assignments that we think, oh, they're not that big of a deal. They actually can be part of a larger thing that God is doing. And that little piece matters a whole lot in the larger story of what God's trying to do. We ought not to underestimate certain seasons of our life and say, oh, what, ask the question, what does God want me to do, grow into here now in this place? And who knows the effect it'll have? Eliezer was faithful 
in a very small entrustment, but he was part of the larger story that ends up getting us Jesus. And everything that's connected to Jesus is connected to his faithfulness to just do one simple thing and to be open to God using him and to be open to a divine appointment that he sets up, representing someone else's interests, serving beautifully. There's a lot for us to learn. Let me go ahead and pray. I'll ask God to bless our time. And Lord, I, I thank you for your words because your words, you know what? Your words have great meaning and value for our everyday lives. And I'm reminded again that we need to just be aware that you are our great shepherd. You lead us in the way that we should go. You, you know the things that are going to damage us and you know the things that bring us life. And so I ask that you would just speak to our hearts. You know, Lord, keep us from those, those things that would really hurt us and even, even kill us. Keep us safe in you. Help us to represent your heart well, to be faithful, to be open, to be willing to just say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I want to be part of your adventure. I want, I want to be open. I want to stay an open person, an open man, an open woman to things that you can do in the everydayness of my life. For who can say that conversation that I was meant to have, that interaction I was supposed to have, that way of representing you that I was supposed to do, who can say how it all fits together in the big picture? We trust you, Lord. Keep stirring our imaginations for you. Keep working in our lives. I ask for the blessing of grace over all we're here. Bless our time of giving. Bless the closing song. Bless our coming week. And bless us as we download the app. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. <laughs> okay.